This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There's more to the story than just postpartum depression, and this podcast aims to share it all. From personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Hi there. Welcome back to Mom and Mind. I am your host, Dr. Kat. On today's episode, we have another personal story to share with you. And as you've seen before, personal stories are very powerful in terms of getting the experience across of somebody who's been through something really difficult and hearing from their own words how it felt for them and how they got through. It's extremely powerful, especially if you yourself have been through something similar. To hear another person's story can be healing for you. It can be a way to allow yourself to even acknowledge your own experience. And I find that to be especially true around things related to birth and traumatic births or the healing through a traumatic birth. On today's episode, we're going to hear from Angela Martin, and she is sharing her own personal story of birth and birth trauma and some of the healing that she was able to find that helped her cope, helped her get to a point where she could heal and overcome from both the trauma and the anxiety that followed. Angela is a mom of two boys, ages 11 and 8, and professionally her background is in accounting and finance, although she now enjoys a part-time job in real estate. She likes to bake and hike and read, and her and her family live in a large college town in the Midwest. She has written a memoir, which is called Dirty Laundry, and she is in the process of looking for an agent to get her personal story out there so that a wider audience can hear what a birth trauma and experience like hers is like and how someone can cope and heal. And as we've heard from other people who write memoirs, in part, the healing is for themselves, and that is very important in the process. But really hearing the detail about someone's experience and for us to be able to reflect and connect to their experience is powerful, even if you haven't had their their exact experience, even if you are just relating to parts of their experience. And I'm pretty sure that's what you'll hear today in Angela's episode. So let's meet Angela. 
Welcome, Angela. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much, Kat, for having me and for doing this work, for sharing stories the way you do. Yeah, thank you. It's super important. And obviously, you are seeing the importance of that by wanting to come on and share yours. And every time someone shares their story, it's it's a little bit different. But regardless of that, I find that there's a lot of commonality between stories, even if it's not exactly the same as somebody else's. Mm -hmm. There's so much to connect with. And that's so important. That's how, how we find some healing some of the time anyways. So to that end, yeah, I'd love for you to start wherever you'd like about your story. Well, to end at the beginning a little, I struggled with perinatal anxiety for years and did a lot of work trying to understand that. And I will say that I had anxiety prior to my sort of birthing years, which I think is a contributing factor for a lot of people. It's not something that I ever, it wasn't debilitating. I lived a normal life. I didn't seek therapy in any way, but I definitely sort of figuring things out. There were building blocks Mm -hmm. around 29. I was pregnant with my first son and wanted to have a sole practitioner doctor felt very strongly about that. Some of those decisions in life that you're afterward, you're like, (laughs) Right. And his birth did not go well. It was sort of the middle of the night and my doctor wasn't really present. Mm. And I ended up having a C-section and uh, I had to have two blood transfusions to make it through the surgery. My husband saw my doctor yelling one of the nurses after and my epidural wore off and I had to have general anesthesia. So I I wasn't even present. I, I remember that happening, unfortunately. He sort of got the brunt of that because I was just out, but it was terrifying. And I I think a lot of times someone wise told me birth trauma is all in your perspective. Two people can have the same birth Mm -hmm. and one can find it traumatic and one cannot. And that, that was a trauma for, for us. Thankfully, my son was healthy as a horse and that was not an issue. And after a couple of days in the hospital, I recovered And it was just sort of a scary beginning. We tend to feel so powerful and that. So then we came home and I had another little scare because then I spiked a fever. So then we're at the emergency room a couple of days later. And then things sort of settled down. I have a a sister, a sibling, and she was also pregnant with a boy at the same time. And she's a couple years older than me. And it was, I have this picture of us. We've got our bellies and we're sort of like doing this Charlie's angel thing. (laughs) It was just so fun to be pregnant together. And she had tried as so many women do sort of worked hard to be pregnant and it was a joyful time. So her son was due six weeks after my son and my parents were actually here visiting us when mine was probably three weeks old and she developed preeclampsia. So they said, can you come? We live 12 hours driving away from each other. Can you come home? This looks like something's brewing here. And I remember being like, oh, I'm not ready for you to go when you have your first baby and your parents are there. And it's like, I can't even really shower. I've got staples in my body. Mm. But of course, that was the, the right decision. And so my sister's son, my nephew was born and her eclampsia sort of preeclampsia worked itself out. That was all okay. And we thought in the beginning that he was just very small. And then he started to gain a little weight. So we all felt really great about that. This is your, your sister's son or your son? My sister's son. Sorry. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, my nephew. And 
Then he started having what they call tet spells, where his body wasn't getting enough oxygen. So they looked mm-hmm. into it. And unfortunately, he was born with tetralogy of fellow, sort of, if I remember right, four-pronged heart defect. Oh, no. And he died a few days later. Oh, my gosh. And it just sort of felt... I could have never articulated this to you 10 years ago when it happened, but I can now. The world all of a sudden was very unsafe to me. You know, yes, my life was in danger. And then thankfully, everything was okay with me. And we're home, not even a month later. And my sister loses her son. And it was Mm -hmm. just not that that of course, there was also this, this is that was her experience that I would never want to take anything from that. Right. That loss, I can't, I can't really imagine or understand. But yes, for for me, it was nothing felt safe anymore. And right. Right. Uh, whatever sort of low grade anxiety I was dealing with before then, it was just right through the ramp right up. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, it's true that sometimes e- either witnessing or in some ways, being a part of somebody else's trauma can be traumatizing to us. It doesn't always even need to be out happening to us directly, e- even though something is obviously happening to you and for you, because it's, it's this is your sister, you're very closely connected, and this is your nephew, and you've already been through this really difficult experience. It's just sort of one of those bad, perfect storm type of situations. Yes. Yeah, I've heard it called that. And my sister and I really couldn't talk for a long time. Mm-hmm. She had a very hard time even bringing up my son, which of course I understood when he was baptized when he was about seven months old. I didn't ask her to be his godmother, which if none of this had transpired the way it did, she would have been. But I just thought, I, c- I can't ask her to do that, to come here and to sell the braid and she couldn't even ask me how he was doing, you know? Right. Yeah. And she was very upset with me about that. It was, I say, it was like our sisterhood was broken, you know? And I think Gosh. when you have a sibling that you're close with, it's such a bond. And thank goodness we have found our way back to each other. Oh, but it was not, it was not, not good for a while. And that, that's such a, it's a loss too, really. Absolutely. Right. And uh, you had been through the whole uh, pregnancy really connected and, and bonded over this. Oh, right. And and then all of your lives together. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's yeah. big. It's really big. So I'll, I'll sort of mess up chrono- I can't chronology or whatever that word is mm-hmm. and tell you very recently in therapy. So this was 10 years ago, but I was with my therapist maybe six months ago and I sort of said to her, I don't think my sister forgives me for my son living and her son dying. And she said, oh, you shouldn't. I don't want you to carry that. How can we help you feel better about that? And I I responded, I don't feel like I can ask her for that. She'd probably say, that's a silly thing or that doesn't make sense. But to put sort of how I feel on her in that way. So my therapist said, what if you wrote yourself a letter? And I did. I wrote a letter to myself from my sister. Mm. I love therapy. And and it just sort of says, I don't blame you. And how could I? Mm. And it's okay. Mm -hmm. And it's on my desk. And every once in a while, I look at it and I'm like, "Mm -hmm." Mm mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. 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 And that's, I mean, 
your experience is, is so very real and also an example of how sometimes that we get pieces of healing along the way. Like it doesn't always happen right at the beginning or right when you start therapy or whatever, there could, there could be layers or whatever. It's so complex. You might find 10 years later that there's this piece that still needs mm -hmm. attention. This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games, and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy The Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of The Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. Yes. I think one thing that did not serve me well and that I've learned is we kept this entire uh, situation very close to us. Mm -hmm. My aunt who lives far, but who I've been close with for my whole life, who I love and just there for me. I, my parents sort of told her about what happened just with me. And I was like, I don't, don't tell people. Mm. And that was my gut instinct. Don't tell people. And I think that came from a place of, I don't want people to be scared. Right. But close friends for a long time. Didn't know. We just didn't talk about it. Even my husband and I years later, we're out to lunch. And he said, you could have left me that day. You know, him and I didn't. And I think that probably makes sense because when you're in that super sensitive place, it's, you don't really want, you're, you're just processing your mind's like, we're going to process whatever we can handle. And that's too much. I wish I had talked more about it. And I actually think as a culture, not to get on a soapbox, but please, I don't, <laughs> I don't think we do a good job sharing mm -hmm. 
women's stories the way that we should. There's this fantastic group in my town. The acronym is MARA, Maternal Advocates Resource Alliance. And they have like birth listening sessions where you can just go and share your story and other women can come and listen. And I just think that's so fantastic because it's sometimes traumatic. And even when it's not traumatic, a lot of times it doesn't go to plan. Right. And I feel like we have this thing where it's like, oh, how's the baby? Oh, the baby's so cute. Mm-hmm. Mom okay? Mom's okay. And then we just move on. And it's like, that's right. not honoring my experience or doing yep. me really any good to, and I, a lot of that was me. I didn't, I didn't try to but live and learn. <laughs> yeah. But you, you also kind of can't, I mean, when, when you're, when you have a new baby and then you're also experiencing dealing with your own traumatic experience, and then now your sister's and and how that's affecting you. You're just in survival mode. There's no like extra stuff. It's just get through the day. So the idea of bringing up this like deep and heavy emotional experience is just too much. It's not, you're not, you can't be at that level where you're just gonna process stuff. You're just trying to, to live and get through yeah. the day. It's really intense. Yeah, I think that's that feels right for where I was. And I also didn't seek help. So many mistakes. Near, so my first son was born in 2011. And then my second son was born in 2013. And I just sort of lived with it. Not really understanding. For one thing, I didn't know that perinatal anxiety was a thing. I thought it was depression, right? That's what everybody talks about. That's what Brooke Shields had. Right. Depression. It's like, I didn't even get that it was a thing. So again, thank you for doing this work and sharing the awareness I'm actually trying to do that myself. I've written a memoir about my experience because I just feel like if someone had said to me, this is traumatic for you. I mean, this might be post-traumatic stress disorder, but this was, this was, it's okay that you feel unsafe right now. Mm -hmm. And especially when you're bringing a sort of history of anxiety, a genetic disposition, maybe you are you are sort of signed up. This makes so much sense. And by the way, one in five women are experiencing one of these perinatal mood disorders. This is not unusual or exceptional. A lot of people are dealing with this, but again, we're just not talking about it. And I think if someone had sort of laid that groundwork for me, of it, it would have made a difference. So thank you again for putting that out there. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So uh, thank you for that. And and also you said before that you sought out therapy. A- about how far past your experience did you seek therapy? And, and if you want to share what that was like, you're welcome to. So it was two years after my second son was born. So this was late 2015. So five years. Mm. Well, I experienced a, sort of another shift in my anxiety when I weaned my second son. Mm the hormones and they are so powerful and I have so much respect for them now. Right. And I weaned him and it was like, I just went off a cliff when mm. I obviously not doing great before then, but, and so for a year I was like, okay, I'm not going to drink coffee. Cause I was like barely holding it together. If I was caffeinated, if you're a super anxious person and then you add caffeine to it, it wasn't a good mix. You know, and I try. I wasn't sleeping, which is, oh my gosh, sleep. I think sleep is like the f- best medicine ever, you know? And of course, for a new mom, for a while, you just, it's hard and you can't. But 
gosh, what a difference it makes to have a good night's sleep. Absolutely. So it was, yeah, about five years when finally my husband and I were just like, you are, we're not figuring this out. This is not getting any better. And yes, if I could turn back time, I would have waited about five minutes, <laughs> right. not five years, but, but again, gosh, raising awareness. And I, I do try to say to people now without, sometimes without a ton of context. Yeah. I've been to therapy. Mm-hmm. I think 20 year olds are so good at that. Yeah, of course. Everybody goes to therapy, but I'm a millennial and it's like, what's wrong with you? (laughs) Thankfully, I found a wonderful therapist who a lot of times just listened to me and just to have someone other than my husband, who was really the only one I was talking to, what a weight for him to carry. Mm -hmm. Uh, He is amazing. Just to sort of say out loud, I can't go to the gym because when I check my son in, and I closed the little gate. I'm not sure that I closed it. And then I picture the kids escaping in the parking lot and getting hit by a car. And I just, I can't. Right. And for her to be able to calmly and objectively say to me, that's probably a catastrophization, saying that right. And what's more likely to happen, even if you did, likely someone else will close it or the kid won't will get around the corner and come back. She just was wonderful. And I went to her for probably a year. And during that time, she introduced me to EMDR, which again, with zero experience with therapy, not a lot of people I know going, wasn't something that I would have sort of suggested, or I don't want to say new agey, but it's what anyway. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll just, just to give some people listening, some understanding EMDR means eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And it's a type of therapy used most commonly for traumatic experiences to help reduce the intensity of the reliving and the overwhelm of trauma. Yes. And I just want to say, again, one's situation, of course, is unique and personal. Mm-hmm. It 100% made a difference for me. Great. And if you had said to me, hold these little tappers in your hand, <laughs> bilateral stimulation, right? And think about something that makes you feel so upset. And then think about how could this be different? How could you think about it with more kindness to yourself? And you just, that's what I did. I sat there and I held those tappers in my hand and I could never understand it, but it absolutely made a difference for me in terms of processing those things that made me feel super anxious. So Mm -hmm. it's just another live and learn thing, I guess. Don't knock it till you try it. (laughs) I mean, I know they use it for veterans with PTSD, Mm -hmm. And I'm thankful that she was well-versed in that and was able to put that sort of in my toolkit to help me move through things. Yeah, absolutely. So, right, you kind of approached it sort of cautiously. It sounds like, well, what is this thing that we're doing? Yeah. <laughs> and it ended up helping. That's that's fantastic. And different therapies work for different people and for different reasons. And there's there's there are so many types of therapy. But um, you going through it and moving through it, do, sometimes people take a little while to to feel some benefit. Sometimes mm-hmm. people feel some shifts pretty soon. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast 
for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Do you have any recollection of of how long it took you to feel a little better? I would say very soon. I mean, I would walk out of there feeling lighter and then I would just find that I wasn't obsessing over that sort of particular situation the way that I was before. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. It's, it is one of those, like, I don't know how this works, but it works. (laughs) There is is research around it and behind it and that, that explains it, but still, I mean, our brains are incredibly complex so that it's not like you can like pop the lid and see like, oh, this thing moved here and now it's better. Right. It It's it's still processing some, right. some big emotional stuff while the brain is doing work to, to get out of that cycle of, of obsessing and, and worry and fear. It makes sense to me in my very non-expert knowledge base that if I'm not sleeping and my brain can't do the processing it's supposed to be doing while I'm sleeping, that I sort of have to help it out during the day. Like I I get the logic behind that. Oh, I love how you said that. That's so true. And it brings it home in a, in a really important way. Cause to your point, like not having the sleep when your brain might be able to do some of that is, is so true. So many people s- struggle with the loss of sleep and then thinking that, well, everybody loses sleep, so I should be able to handle this. Why can't I? But mm-hmm. it's it's a major need. It's not even a, a want. Like, I'd like to sleep. You have to. And when you can't get it, it, it just does things to you. Yeah. So I love that that idea of helping your brain out during the day. That's so good. I'm going to use that. <laughs> <laughs> Credit to Angela Martin. That's great. 
So in terms of how the anxiety impacted you, would you be okay with sharing like what you experienced in the day to day and what that was like, like if it impacted any part of your day, meaning like you, it was hard to get through certain parts of your day, or if there were, I think you said earlier, like that you got through your day just fine, but maybe it was an internal process, like something that you were dealing with sort of behind the Mm -hmm. scenes. What was, what was that like? What did you experience? My therapist said that I was a well-resourced person. And I said, what does that mean? She said, you have all of these sort of coping strategies Mm -hmm. to sort of mask what's happening here. And I feel like you use that example of like the duck with the feet underneath. Mm -hmm. I mean, my brain was the feet underneath. And I think just like my birth story, which I did not share, I didn't talk to anyone about my perinatal anxiety, really other than my husband in the beginning. Mm So to the outside world, I think everybody thought I was just fine. I was taking my kids to preschool. I was going to my part-time job. I was making dinner. I was doing all the things in here. It was a disaster. Mm -hmm. And I would say the biggest thing was I was never present for what was actually happening. Mm -hmm. I would be sitting and playing with my kids and I would be worrying that I messed something up at work or we would be eating dinner and I would be worrying that I didn't cook the chicken properly. Mm -hmm. My mind was never at rest. And it was never sort of where, where I presently existed. It was always Mm -hmm. worrying about the future or worrying about the past. So quality of life was probably not so great. (laughs) I was doing all the things, which really, I mean, good for my family in a practical way, but sometimes that's stress, of course, contributes to anxiety too. So mm-hmm. when I'm rushing my kids to preschool, so I can rush to work, so I can rush to the store to get them on time. Mm-hmm. That's not good for me either. And as moms, of course, a lot of us try to do all the things. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Right. So nobody would really, from the outside, nobody would really know what was mm-hmm. going on. No, which is another thing. Another reason I am trying to share my story through writing this book there is unfortunately still such a stigma about mental health issues in this country. And at some very low points and some very dark thoughts, it was like, if I say this out loud, like is somebody going to take my kid from me? Like Mm -hmm. that that was one of my sort of irrational concerns. If you have a doctor you're speaking to at the time, who's like, this is what's going on. I know that this is This sounds like perinatal anxiety to me. I am watching you with your kid and you seem like an excellent mom. That's not what we're talking about right here. I don't think that your safety of your kids is in jeopardy. Right, right. But if you don't have that sort of comfort, then it's like, there are a lot of reasons to not talk about this, right? Let's say that. Yeah. And not talking about it isn't doing anybody any favors. Mm -hmm. It's not. We need to normalize it. So... And it's, it's awkward, right? Like you're with your girlfriend and you don't want to be like, Hey, guess what? I'm constantly terrified that I'm going to leave the fridge at my son's preschool open and all the kids are going to get sick because the lunch meat's bad. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of weird and awkward, but it is, I think, doing everyone a disservice to not have these conversations more. Yeah, absolutely. It, it really is. I mean, I, I know for for me and all the, the the people that I meet with, like the the relief of knowing that it's a thing, that these intrusive thoughts, those those scary thoughts that pop in, is something that happens to a lot of people, and it's not just some product of your 
brain and your mind alone, that it's not just you having these quote unquote weird or strange or even scary thoughts. There, there's nothing like that kind of relief where you can just, you can sometimes even feel it in your body. Yes. Yes. Um, I am not alone. I, I mean, and if that's one thing I would, and again, you're doing that through this work, you're not, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. And also I wish it weren't 10 years later, but I have regained my mental health in a way that I, if you had asked me eight years ago, I'm not sure that I would have said I could. Mm-hmm. There was a time that I had quit my job because it was causing me so much stress and anxiety. And I said to my husband, I don't think I'll ever be able to work again. Like mm-hmm. I can't handle this. Right. And I've made a lot of changes. Some work, some don't. No more caffeine. Please sleep. <laughs> no, if it means taking a melatonin at five in the morning, which I will still do now because my brain will just, nope, we're going back to sleep. <laughs> and sometimes I'm a little groggy at eight. That's fine. <laughs> sleep and get outside, go exercise, go for a walk. Try to talk to someone, even if you can't get into a therapist or you can't afford a therapist, find someone that you can trust and just get what you can off your chest. And more recently, I have had a marked improvement just in the last two years. I went to sort of a holistic doctor here in town and had my blood work taken. And she said, well, you have zero testosterone. Mm. And after my weaning experience with Ethan, I'm like, okay, hormones I bow to you. (laughs) So to know that there was just, she's like, it it can't measure because it's not there. And here's the normal range. And we have sort of slowly and carefully added that supplement to to me and another just sort of big step forward in managing my anxiety and feeling like my brain is sort of in a balanced place. So, and of course, that's true for me. And it's not going to be true for a lot of people, but I, I guess I would just say if I could just keep trying, like mm-hmm. there are ways and there are tools, just keep trying. Cause it, we advocate so much for our children's health. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we don't do a good enough job advocating for ourselves. And it hurts me to think of other women struggling the way that I did. And I would just hope, hope and keep trying and it can be better and it can. Yeah. Thank you for, for sharing that and giving hope to other people. And and I'd I'd like to, to hope that they can hear that and feel that because I mean, I'm sure somebody telling you that it's going to get better seems impossible sometimes. Um, Like how, how could it feel better when I feel this bad? But to your point, like there's, there are multiple things that could help and trying, trying different things along the way is, is really very, and, and I'm thankful that you also brought in this kind of medical part because there are ways in which our bodies get kind of jacked up and, and physiologically aren't doing well. It's not always like quote unquote, just mental, whatever right. that means. Anyways, our, our brain is, is physical. And our body is physical and these things really do get impacted. There can be thyroid problems. There can be the deficiencies in, in certain things or excess of certain things. And we, we, a lot of people sometimes just end up feeling like it's, it's like me, I'm the problem. There's something wrong with me, but 
like you're saying, there there can be underlying medical stuff happening yep. that yep. just hasn't been attended to for whatever reason. Right. Or our bodies change so much throughout pregnancy and birth. Mm-hmm. Maybe something was sort of balanced before and now it's not quite right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the great tools my therapist told me, she she said, just start journaling and every day write down, what did, did I have coffee? What did I eat? Was I able to work out or sort of go for a long walk? How did I sleep? And look for patterns. Mm-hmm. And that helped me a lot too. Like, why is it sort of a hormone thought process? Why is it this one week of the month that I'm always super anxious? <laughs> yes. A lot of women sort of experience that varying throughout their cycle. But yeah, that was a great tool for me too, to sort of try to ferret out. I'm, I'm a data person, like <laughs> look for clues. All right. Right. Well, that's incredibly important. So you did the journaling, you did the movement. I mean, the things that you were telling people to suggesting for people to do earlier, it sounds like those are things that you were doing as well. Yeah. Yeah. And right. So not just one thing is going to fix everything, like adding these tools, trying things out, seeing what works and what doesn't. So now with where you are at in your process, having the sort of distance of time, but also some healing, you, you were describing before that you could see like, oh, it would have been good to start therapy at this time or, or those kinds of things. But having that, the distance from it, from the intensity of it, what are things that you are really hoping that people who are, who are feeling and experiencing something similar, what would you, what would you tell them? Well, number one, I would tell them you're not alone. I shared this story with a charity board. I'm on a teeny tiny snippet. I just said I had a hard time when I was pregnant with my mental health and someone heard that. And she said, do you want to start a mom's group with me? And we started this very loose community group where you can just come and bring your baby and we can just talk. And if you want to tell us your birth story, you can, you want to talk about preschools, you can. I feel like go back eons. We, we birthed so sort of individually and alone compared to a long time ago. So try to find someone right. That you can bond with and can share with and, so you don't feel so alone. Yeah. And when you said a minute ago, when you're in it, it's so hard to see the other side. And that is so true. And I think if I, you really can't prove it to someone. Right. People say seasons of life. And I feel like when your kids are small, you're like, oh my God, this season is forever. <laughs> I'm done with it. And I don't really believe you. And I'm not going to miss these days. <laughs> I All I can say is, I've been there mm-hmm. and it was awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank God for my supportive husband mm-hmm. and just keep trying, have hope and talk to somebody, share your story. Don't be afraid. I never told my sister that I was dealing with any sort of mental health issue until I was like trying to send my book out to prospective agents. And I was like, well, I guess she should know about this. <laughs> And that was a really, really tough conversation, you know, because for a long time, it was like, this is your loss Mm -hmm. and this incredible loss. And how do I get to be like, I'm not doing so great right now. Mm -hmm. I don't get to say that. Mm -hmm. There was, someone said to me once, there was no space in the room for you to feel how you were feeling. Mm -hmm. And I think I was like, 
Mm -hmm. there wasn't. Mm -hmm. And that is not her fault. And that is not something that she did. Right. It was just the crap that we were in Mm -hmm. right there. But in all the tiny ways that we have sort of cobbled our relationship back together, I think telling her where I've been was a piece of that Mm -hmm. and has helped us sort of come back together, which is such a gift. Yeah, for sure. That's that's a really massive part of your healing too, to be able to have that connection and share again. Thank you, Angela, for sharing your story and this just such an important perspective on healing. Really appreciate it. And I'm hopeful that the people who are listening can have a little bit more hope for themselves as well. Thank you. Me too. Stay strong, mamas. You got it. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Angela. And hopefully sometime soon she is able to find an agent so that we can all read her memoir and understand in more depth how she got through this period of time. Please do share this episode with anyone who you think could benefit from hearing a story like Angela's. And maybe if it's you, maybe it's your story, and then you need to share this with somebody so that they can understand your experience. That can be equally as powerful. I thank you so much for joining us. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.